0: Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten speaking to you from Ottawa, Canada. This morning, as you hear our show, you may remember that. Sunday evening the Jewish festival of Hanukkah begins and will be celebrated for 8 days. This year Hanukkah uh is arriving uh a week before Christmas and uh last year it arrived uh, almost a month earlier than Christmas. That's due to the vagaries of the Hebrew lunar solar calendar. This morning however um, we do want to continue our pattern of reading through the five books of Moses, known as the Torah, and unpacking each of the weekly portions, known in Hebrew as the parasha. And so, we're getting close to the end of the first book of uh, Genesis, Bereishit in Hebrew, and our Torah portion is known as Vayeshev, which usually translates as "He settled." And let me give you an overview of the portion before I introduce my guest and speak with you and he about the portion. The third patriarch, Jacob, settles in Hebron with his 12 sons. His daughter, Dina, is uh, very much part of a previous parashah, but does not seem to appear to be settling in Hebron with them. His favorite is 17-year-old Joseph, whose brothers are jealous of the preferential treatment he receives from his father, such as what we now know as the precious many-colored coat that Jacob uh, gives to Joseph. Joseph relates to his brothers two of his dreams, which foretell that he is destined to rule over them, increasing their envy and hatred towards him. Simeon and Levi plot to kill him but Reuben suggests that they throw him into a pit, instead intending to come back later and save him. While Joseph is in the pit, Judah has him sold to a band of passing Ishmaelites. The brothers dip Joseph's special coat in the blood of a goat and show it to their father, leading their father Jacob to believe that his most beloved son was devoured by a wild beast. Judah, the eldest son, Uh, marries and has three children. The eldest, known as heir, dies young and childless, and his wife Tamar is given in leverite marriage to the second son Onan. Leverite uh, marriage is the ceremony and obligation um, beholding on a widow When her husband has died and the couple is childless, she is obligated to marry the next oldest son uh, in the lineage. Onan spills his seed, and he too meets an early death. Judah is reluctant to have his third son marry her. Determined to have a child from Judah's family, Tamar disguises herself as a prostitute and seduces her father-in-law Judah. Judah hears that his daughter-in-law has become a pregnant and orders are executed for harlotry. But when Tamar produces some personal effects indicating that Judah was the father, he publicly admits it. Tamar gives birth to sons, uh, two of them parrots, who will be identified in the Torah as an ancestor of King David, and Zerach. Our story returns to the narrative of Joseph. Joseph is taken to Egypt and sold to Potiphar, the minister in charge of Pharaoh's slaughterhouses. God blesses everything he does, and soon he is made overseer of all his master's property. Potiphar's wife desires what the text calls the handsome and charismatic lad, and when Joseph rejects her advances, She tells her husband that the Hebrew slave tried to force himself on her, and Jophus is then thrown into prison. Joseph gains the trust and admiration of his jailers, who appoint him to a position of authority in the prison administration. A little foreshadowing of what will happen later with Joseph during the famine. In prison, Joseph meets Pharaoh's chief butler and chief baker, both incarcerated for offending their royal master. Both have um, difficult dreams, which Joseph interprets. He tells them in three days the butler will be released and the baker hanged. Joseph asks the butler to intercede on his behalf with Pharaoh. Joseph's predictions are fulfilled, and the Torah portion tells us that the butler forgets all about Joseph and does nothing for him. Well, as you can see, this is a Torah portion with really uh, multiple narratives, and with me this morning is Rabbi Jonathan Stein, the Rabbi Emeritus of Shari Tefillah uh, Congregation of New York City, past president of the Central Conference of American Rabbis. Rabbi Stein graduated from the University of Pennsylvania. Wharton School of Business, was ordained by Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion, and he has served as Senior Rabbi of Indianapolis Hebrew Congregation, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Israel of San Diego. He has served in many capacities on behalf of the Reform Movement and in many wonderful capacities with regard to the uh, World Union of Progressive Judaism the body which helps promote liberal judaism throughout the world he has been recognized as an honorary member by the national association of temple educators and he was honored by the world union of progressive judaism for his work on behalf of international jewry it's a pleasure to welcome back to jewish faith and jewish uh facts
1: uh rabbi jonathan stein good morning rabbi stein morning, Rabbi Garten. That is one of the kindest <laughs> um, introductions I have ever received. Thank you. And well, I did keep it short, but I, you, did, <laughs> you didn't do that. <laughs> uh,
0: as some of you it, may remember, Rabbi Stein and I were classmates in seminary, and um, I learned so much from him during our years as students that it's a pleasure to learn again with him on this podcast, so let's get right to the beginning of this. This Torah portion tells us that Jacob settles in Hebron.
1: Where's Jacob coming from? Well, I think he's coming from Haran, which is up north. But that's uh, before we talk about that, and you you probably know the answer better than I. But this was the first. This was how I learned Hebrew. You, Steve, you and um, most of our class were in Israel, and a few of us, as you remember, stayed behind. They gave us a book that was at least a half an inch thick, and it went through this Torah portion word by word and broke down the grammar, and I had not the slightest idea what they were talking about at the beginning. (laughs) And as things unfolded and repeated themselves, I eventually learned a little bit of grammar. But whenever somebody says Vayeshev, my mind immediately goes to that book and the first day of class at HCC. And and nearly um, uh, 55 years ago. Nearly 55 years ago. So... I've often wondered, actually, about the word because lashuv also means to return, and it means to sit. And dwelled is also one of the meanings, which I assume is the meaning of the text here. But the word, not so much sit, but return, lashuv, without the, you know, without the vowels. It. I'm not sure. Uh, Maybe you know if Midrash says something about that. But I thought that it's a a different way of understanding the opening word.
0: Well, it's interesting that you raise it from a grammatical perspective, because prior to um, this Torah portion, Jacob is on the move. He's running from his home, the uh, house where he grew up with his father, Isaac and Rebecca. He's running from his brother Esau. Um, The previous Torah portions um, indicate that he is quite unsettled. Hmm. Um, And so you raise an interesting question. Is he returning to Hebron, um, which in tradition, of course, would have been the burial
1: place of his grandparents? Yes. Um, uh, thank you for that. Hebron, not, not Haran. <laughs> right. Well, where Who was he comes from. from Abraham, was he, Abraham? Was that Abraham from Haran?
0: Right. But okay. it, it is true that um, because Jacob is uh, a wanderer, this notion of returning might be an implication that he had been there before.
1: Right. And I also like the word that you use to dwell, meaning that it's almost the opposite of that—that that there he was settled. Good. And um, there's a but there's an interesting juxtaposition there, and history I think and text would favor your translation of dwell uh, in that land. I,
0: I think dwell um, seems to give us a sense. Of, um, finally resting. Jacob the wanderer, Jacob, the man who is running from his brother, running from his past, um, which is going to catch up with him at the end of this parasha. Um, and he now is in a new place. Um, interestingly enough, how do we compare Jacob to his patriarchal predecessors? When you think of the lineage of Abraham to Isaac and Jacob, what comes to mind in terms of um, descriptors of these three uh, introductory members of the
1: people of Israel? Well, first, I think it for uh, modern liberal Jews, important to note that uh, Jewish status is passed on through fathers. Um, through these three men whom we venerate in prayers and um, and so on. Um, and I, I don't know how our more traditional brothers explain that. I'm sure that they do. That, um, but I think it's instructive. Um, <laughs> wandering, leaving home for Abraham... Not being settled seems to be the pattern, and even this story they're going down to egypt they're still not settled and then they come out however many years later so your, your you know your um storyline um, of that unsettledness I think does mark our patriarchs and a lot of the of the Torah. That
0: they are not just um, following up what you've suggested. They're not just no ads. They're searchers.
1: Good. I like uh, that.
0: And that they are not simply moving because the flocks require it. But there seems to be something more internally that is um, thrusting them to search for something. Um,
1: That's another really good word, search and searching. Um, (laughs) In our own day, the Reform Movement has talked about Torah as people searching for God, looking for God, trying to find God, and writing down the best that they could figure out. Um, And I wonder uh, how much of that searching for God— Um, as part of the, of our ancestors, our forefathers' narrative.
0: Well, our listeners may remember that, um, two weeks ago, we read of Jacob wrestling with an unidentified opponent. And at the end of the episode, Jacob's name is changed, um, to Israel, one who, Strives, one who struggles uh with God. And that would seem to be a great follow-up on what you've suggested. That each of these patriarchs in their own way have been um internally motivated uh to participate in this uh search.
1: Yes. Um and in our own day, of course, I'm sure many of our listeners are engaged in that same search as as are as am I. <laughs> yes,
0: I, I mean know? I think that's what the Torah sets out as the paradigm yeah. that even those who are identified with um, responsibility as leaders are not immune for this kind of searching for uh, meaning.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. And I like again your use of vocabulary, the word meaning. Um, You may not, you may know that my go to guy is Viktor Frankl, who is the author of Man's Search for Meaning and about 10 other books. Right. Um, And Frankl changed the way I think about religion. Um so the word meaning is really important um in my personal search and journey. I, I did want to mention, since you talked about the change of name, um a verse or two, maybe three or four into this week's Torah portion, Jacob, who's called Jacob in the first line, is called Israel. And so right in the introduction, I think it's about Israel loving Joseph. Jacob doesn't say that. Israel says, or the text puts that those words in Israel's mouth. So the author of the text well, there either there's this combining maybe of traditions, but maybe more it's sort of, you know, I'm Jonathan, I'm John, I'm this, I'm that. Maybe it's that. I'm not sure.
0: It's a, it's a great question to ask about the text because who is Jacob? Jacob is the person that we've been introduced to for uh, a number of weeks. He's the person who uh, steals his brother's birthright. He's the person who manipulates his father. He's the person who is manipulated by his uncle with regard to his wives. Um, but when his name is changed, we expect some different behavior. And the Torah portion begins by telling us, Jacob Comes to this land, but Israel now becomes the center of our focus. Right. And I guess the sense here is that the transition from patriarchal narrative to the sons, uh, including the story of Judah and Tamar, is an indication that we've gone beyond. Um, a small nuclear family into a much larger nuclear family, which is what allows us to have a narrative strand in Egypt. But unlike, uh, Abraham and Isaac, where they went to Egypt just, um, husband and wife. Now we have the youngest son going to Egypt as the foreshadowing of everybody going to Mm -hmm. Egypt. Uh, that's very helpful. And I hope for our listeners' sake, they begin to see how, um, the Torah is not a, um, vertical storyline. Mm. Um, like a strand of DNA, it's intertwined. And we need to sometimes remember what's happened in the past as foreshadowing of the future and unpack the present. Um, to better understand what the future will be all about. Um, so Jacob seems to be introduced to us as um, what you would expect, the, the father. But then the narrative leaves him, and we focus on the sons. Now, I know you've done some significant thinking about the role of women in modern uh, religious life, would you just like to offer some comment about why Dina, who in chapter thirty-six was so important, disappears? <laughs> Th-
1: thank you. I-, I have not the slightest idea. Uh, okay, <laughs> what? What? I'm not sure exactly where. Um, what your what is the answer? Well, I don't
0: know what the answer is. I'm always, you know, um, the Torah, you started a while ago talking about the Torah being a patriarchal book. Yeah. And Dina, the daughter of Jacob, um, is the only woman in the story in which we have a complete narrative um, thrust. She um, has this interaction with Shechem, the prince of the Shechemites, and Shechem and his uh, brethren uh, seem to have a desire to um, uh, have a relationship with her, Uh, and
1: uh, lo and behold, the brothers want to defend her. Right. Well... It's important to remember, as you originally asked about women, that dealing with the Torah is a very different society and understanding of the hierarchy of um, authority, power, and so on. Men are number one, two, and three in the Torah. And um, um, women, um, you know, people try to compare Torah texts with other contemporary texts and say, well, we were so much more advanced than they were. Right? Maybe, maybe, but not advanced enough. So, um, yes, women. And it leads, it, first of all, I just wanted to comment. It's interesting to me how life itself and the text turn on one sentence. All of a sudden, life takes a turn for us. And here, it's when Israel Loves Joseph more. That one parental, I would say it's a mistake. <laughs> that one parental thing changes history, and is the origin of this whole Exodus story, with the with the um, the uh, twelve sons going down to Egypt, and the famous Exodus story that everybody knows is set off. With this moment in the Torah.
0: And and Jacob replicates his father's behavior because um, Isaac is said to love Esau more than Jacob. Right. And one would have thought, um, as parents, both you and I and those who are listening, that we sometimes recognize behaviors um, of our parents. And even when we are copying them unintentionally, we say, "Oh, my parents did that, my father, my mother said that. I think I'd like not to do it." but Jacob seems to just uh, repeat the mistake, and the upshot of his mistake is um this long story about joseph
1: uh, I'm, you know i'm what you say makes me smile because I mean that's me. You know, I'm, I'm a little kid and I say, I'll never say that to my children. And <laughs> there I go.
0: Well, I think it's all of us. We're all that that little kid who hear ourselves, um, repeating words that we couldn't believe that we would be connected to. I, I do want to, before we, um, turn to the end of our portion, I do want to remind listeners that while I asked Rabbi Stein about what happened to Dina, we do have this interesting intercession in the narrative, the story of Tamar, which is a story of women's power. Um, and while so much of history has focused on the Leverite marriage or on the sin of Onan and Onanism, this is a story of the woman who takes control of her own life um, and is not left uh, to um, be at the whim
1: of uh, her father-in-law. Well, you're, you're certainly correct, but she has, to do, she has to play prostitute to do it. Correct. That's so, right. You know, there's a certain role that still that women have to be in, in order to be sexual. Um, And prostitution is one of them. Certainly if, um, you know, if her status was known um, to Judah, uh, I assume the event never would have happened. Uh, And yes, it does show women's power but um, and at the same time, it also shows their continuing uh, secondary status in the in the hierarchy. And what it's interesting that there are two sexual stories in this week's Torah portion. We don't get a lot of that. In Torah no. at all, because we also get Potiphar's wife, who's trying to seduce Joseph, and there's another moment when history turns, because they send him to prison for refusing, according to the text. But in this case, Potiphar's wife is the temptress. And that does not play out well in later Jewish tradition. Women are seen as sexual temptation to men. And that's one of the reasons why there's still a division in terms of responsibilities and mitzvot for men and women in traditional Jewish life.
0: Uh, And even today, um, the new government of Israel seems to be speaking quite uh, directly about um, returning to a more traditional role uh, for women in, in civic engagement.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and while the same thing in our, here in the, here in the States with uh, especially with some conservative Christians who call for a return to what they think is the biblical status of women. Correct. In a, in a you know, in a secondary position.
0: So it's, It leads us to think that, you know, um, we begin the Torah with Eve as a temptress. We have the story of Tamar, um, who is a temptress, but in a different surah, in a different context. And then Potiphar's wife returns to um, the role that Eve is uh, given. And unlike Adam and Eve, um, this turns the entire uh, narrative on its head.
1: I like that because, yes, Adam and Eve lead to the expulsion, but Potiphar and Joseph lead to the next chapter in the story. Uh, Well, I
0: think that's where we're going to have to leave it for this morning. As I said in the introduction, it's a Torah portion that calls out to be interpreted and to be discussed, and we've only touched the surface of it. My guest this morning has been Rabbi Jonathan Stein, Rabbi Emeritus of uh, Congregation Shari Tefillah in New York City. I want to thank him for joining with us. You can hear a broadcast of our show on CHRI 99.1 FM or a podcast on chri.ca, uh, on iTunes, or on YouTube. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing you shalom for those who observe and celebrate Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Have a good day.